1909, Captain Edward J. Smith said of his ship, the Adriatic, I cannot imagine any condition that would cause a large ship to founder. I cannot conceive of any vital disaster happening to this vessel. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. It's impossible, unimaginable, in other words, unsinkable. This same Captain Edward Smith went on to be the captain of the Titanic. The tragedy and the irony of the sinking of that great ship has remained with us for more than a century. And it's, it's not that the company that built the ship or ran the ship was constantly advertising unsinkable, unsinkable, unsinkable. But they were proud of their technological advances, confident in human progress and smugly unafraid. After all, loss of life at sea had grown so rare. In the decade before the sinking of the Titanic, three and a half million passengers had made the crossing just on British ships. And out of those three and a half million, only 10 had perished. The company called their ship practically unsinkable, but you know people didn't hear the practically part of that. One passenger on the Titanic, Thomas Beatty, wrote in a letter, we are changing ships and coming home in a new unsinkable boat. There's even a claim that a crew member told a passenger, God himself could not sink this ship. This hope, this optimism is shocking and saddening in retrospect. Looking back, we can see that some of the steel in the hull was overly brittle for icy waters. Looking back, we can wonder how a captain could hear not one, but six different warnings of ice ahead and still continue forward at near full speed. Looking back, we can ask, how could they not know that they should have enough space in the lifeboats for every single passenger and that the crew should be trained in evacuation and disaster procedures? How could they not know? A lot changed after the Titanic sunk. First the morning, finding and burying the dead, supporting the survivor, but next and very quickly came new laws better safety procedures, requirements for lifeboat drills, and establishment of an international ice patrol by the U.S. Coast Guard. And this ice patrol, which continues to this day, has meant that there has not been a single reported loss of life or property due to collision with an iceberg in that very same patrol area. Hope. It's at the center of our faith, but it can be really hard to pin down just what it is. Certainly the builders and crew and passengers of the Titanic had very high hopes for this maiden voyage and many voyages to come, but instead there was tragedy. Hope looks very different 
when things are hunky-dory than it does when the worst has just happened. In our hardest moments, we might expect the death of hope, a life of loss, the ascendance of meaninglessness. So what happens to hope then? Even though our scripture passage today begins with Pharaoh and his dream, we really should remember where Joseph is. Growing up in his father's house, he was so cocky, so presumptuous, it never occurred to him that anyone or anything could take him down. From his undeserved status among his brothers, from his father's protection, from his cushy work assignments, He lied, he boasted, he crowed, and his brothers attacked him, left him in a pit, and sold him into slavery. In most life stories, I would say that that would easily be the the lowest point, right? (laughs) The Lord was with Joseph, and he ended up overseeing the household of Pharaoh's captain of the guard. And maybe he was starting to feel like, aha, things are looking up until his master's wife lied about Joseph and he landed in prison, unfairly in prison. Psalm 105 takes the time to tell us what it was like for Joseph in prison. It says his feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Genesis assures us that the Lord was with Joseph in that prison, showing him steadfast love, but he was still in prison. And even when Joseph helps, even when he serves the other prisoners and interprets their dreams for them with stunning accuracy, even then they forget him. He's forgotten. The Bible tells us that Joseph was 17 when he was sold into slavery. Later in our passage, we find out that he was 30 when he entered Pharaoh's service. So that makes 13 years of slavery and imprisonment, of working and waiting, hopes raised and dashed. That is a long time to live in limbo. Pharaoh had some dreams, really strange dreams that his wise men and magicians couldn't make any sense of. Or or maybe they tried to make sense of them, but their interpretations rang false to Pharaoh. Imagine, imagine that you live in a kingdom where your king has charge over the cosmic order where your culture tells you that your ruler is one of the gods whose power is unquestioned, unchecked. Imagine you are an advisor in this scenario. How likely is it that you would ever say anything negative to Pharaoh? How long do you think you would get to keep your freedom or your life if you said the wrong thing? at the wrong time. See, I imagine that the way you got to be a wise man or a magician had a lot more to do with smiling and nodding 
than it did with dealing in sometimes challenging truths. The cupbearer remembers this Hebrew slave. If he could interpret my dream, maybe, maybe he could do it again here. He wasn't afraid to tell the baker that he would die. Maybe he would show the same courage with Pharaoh in case the dream is a bad sign. Joseph is sent for, and he changes clothes, he washes up. Do you notice how every time something significant happens in Joseph's life, a change of clothes is involved? (laughs) The dream coat snatched away. The garment that Potiphar's wife grabbed hold of, now he has new clothing, and it is fancy enough to stand in the presence of Pharaoh. The winds are now changing. Pharaoh tells Joseph, I've heard when someone tells you a dream, you are able to interpret it. And Joseph says politely, very politely, correcting Pharaoh, it is not I, but God. I do not answer Pharaoh. I do not have a special knowledge. God is the one who gives interpretation. And this is quite a different Joseph from the one who reveled in his dreams of power over his family and his brothers with them bowing down to him. Joseph says, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And maybe you think Joseph is being a yes man or trying to butter up Pharaoh. Maybe you think God has given him foreknowledge of the dream interpretation, so Joseph is giving Pharaoh a sneak peek. Everything's going to be all right, even before he hears the dream. What I think is different. See, the word favorable here is actually shalom, that great word for peace and wholeness and welfare and security. I think that what Joseph is saying is God is still working. Even with all the misery and downturns and strain of his life, he still trusts God is with him. And if God is with him, God will be with Pharaoh and with Egypt and with all the people. By this point, Joseph has been worn down in so many ways. But at the same time, he has been building up his trust in God. In that light, it doesn't matter what the dream says. Joseph trusts God. And you can tell, you can tell that he trusts God because he has to give Pharaoh some bad news. This is news that could seriously anger Pharaoh. Now, you remember, if Pharaoh thinks he maintains the cosmic order between the humanity and the gods, then a seven-year famine that Pharaoh does not want to happen, that would be a huge challenge to his power and his authority. But Joseph knows what happens when you ignore the signs that things are going wrong all around you. He trusts God to keep him safe, and he trusts God to convince Pharaoh of what is coming. Joseph tells Pharaoh, 
unflinchingly, this is what will happen and this is what you must do. In the time of impossible plenty, store up grain, store it up so much that is uncountable, unmeasurable, like the sand of the sea. But know that good times do not last forever. Gird yourself up for the hard times. Share what you have with your people and the surrounding peoples, and you shall live, even in this horrible famine. Did you notice that Joseph never once advocated for himself? He didn't mention his innocence. He didn't ask to be freed from prison or to get some cushy new job. He just wanted the truth to be known, no matter the consequences. And he was blessed. In that moment, even Pharaoh can see that the Spirit of God is with Joseph. Even Pharaoh recognizes that this foreign slave prisoner has something that his own wise men and magicians lack. And for this, he becomes overseer. Once more, he's risen to an elite status, even fancier clothes, even more attention. We know Joseph loves attention. But he's not the same old Joseph anymore. He didn't seek this power. And the power that he's been given is for serving others, for saving others, and not for himself. You can see how he has changed, because as soon as he gets his fancy new title and the ring and the clothing, the first thing he does is travel out into the land for seven years. He spends those seven years spreading the word, beefing up the storehouses, and probably getting laughed out of town in a lot of places, trying to convince people that, yes, even though you see all this abundance around you, a horrible famine is coming. It is very hard to know the difference between real hope and false hope. Certainly that crewman from the Titanic who said God himself couldn't sink this ship was acting under false hope and bad theology. Honestly, when we think about hope, we get so focused on getting what we want or banking on a specific outcome. We block out the notion that a bad thing can happen because we rest on the idea that my life isn't that kind of story. But once the unthinkable happens, when we're down in the dungeon, lost on the ash heap, grieved, enraged, conflicted, it is from that point that our faith allows us to look up and say, yet there is hope. That's where it is. Hope doesn't only exist when things go right, but also when they go wrong. Hope is when we don't pretend something bad could never happen, but when we can say, whether it's good or bad, whether it is my preference or not, God is with me, and God will see me through. 
The story isn't over, and I will take one more step. As Joseph grew in his faith, so may we. May we do everything we can to trust God, to be disciplined and earnest as we walk onward in life. May we rely less on our own power and cleverness and more on the unsearchable wisdom of our holy God. Let us then be humble and eager in God's service. Amen.